0: please open up your Bibles to John chapter 12 John chapter 12 and this is the uh, triumphal entry Uh, this is when Christ is entering into Jerusalem uh, and which would be the last week of his life so starting in verse 12 of John chapter 12 it says the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of, the to- out of his tomb uh, and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for uh, this time that we have together to gather and worship uh, and celebrate uh, you entering into your city, Lord. Uh, I pray, Lord, that as we move forward this morning, uh, that you would just... Keep our hearts and our minds open to what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry, he entered in three ways, uh, three different personas, if you will. Uh, He entered in as the king, he entered in as the high priest, and he entered in as the sacrifice. Uh, So first this morning... Let's look at Jesus entering in as the king. Uh, Jesus entering in as the king. And so the first thing that we will see uh, about him acting as a king here uh, is that he is the king of Jerusalem. The city itself is his. So when a king would return from battle or return from travels uh they would often enter in on a steed uh riding in on a steed and there would be a big parade celebrating this king uh coming in and this is what we uh see here when jesus is entering in into jerusalem uh this was a parade uh john chapter 12 verse 13 again It says that the people came out to meet him and then they they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And so this city was his. The city was his. And we actually know that Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. Right. And the original name for Jerusalem actually is Salem, which means peace. And so this city was always meant to be his. We also see that Jesus rode in on a donkey. Now, I, usually, I, I used to think the donkey was uh, mostly a sign of humility, but understand also that they didn't have a lot of horses in Israel at that time. Uh, what Mostly what they rode upon were donkeys. And so uh, Jesus is actually riding in on a steed just as a king would uh, returning into their city. This is in verses uh, 14 and 15. It says, Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And so this is actually... Uh, Prophecy that was way back in Zechariah uh, verse nine nine, or sorry, chapter nine verse nine. It says, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey." This is prophecy being fulfilled here, Jesus coming in on this donkey. But make no mistake that he is riding in triumphantly as their king. They also laid palm branches out for him. Uh, This is actually a fairly significant detail too because this is the way that the Jews were instructed to worship the Lord was with palm branches. And so the people coming out of the city, now, but just a side note there, the fact that they would come out of the city to meet him meant that they were welcoming him in. And so if he was coming in as a conqueror at that time, they would have retreated into the city and closed it up. That was what was normal. But uh, it's not like the movies where, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a movies where uh, there's a battle about to happen and then for some reason all of the people go outside of the city uh, to line up for battle. That doesn't make sense at all. Those, they, they're supposed to go behind the defensive fortifications, right? And so what is happening with Jesus here is not that they are scared of Jesus. They're welcoming him in as a king. They're going out to meet him with these palm branches. Uh, the palm branches go all the way back to Leviticus chapter twenty-three, uh, and this is verse forty. This is how God instructs uh, the Israelites to worship Him. It says, starting in verse forty, uh, it says, "And you shall take for yourselves on the first day of the fruit, sorry, the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, and and the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook." And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And so this is prophetic again here about what Jesus, when Jesus would come into Jerusalem. Also, if we read in Matthew, we don't have to turn there right now, but we also read that they laid down their garments uh, for Jesus when they were coming. And they literally rolled out the red carpet for him. That was basically what they were doing. So this was a celebratory event. See, it's really sad, though, that four days later, just about four days later, they would kill him on a cross and be shouting for his death. These very same people. But we see also that he's not just the king of Jerusalem, he is the king of the people. Uh, he is very much the king of the people. You see, the Pharisees were very scared of Jesus because of this fact. Because he was, they were shouting about Jesus, Hosanna, the king of Israel. In verse 19 of John chapter 12. It says, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, see that you are accomplishing nothing. Listen to this. Look, the world has gone after him. When they're talking about the world there, they're talking about all of the people. Jesus had basically everyone in the city cheering for him as the king. We move on and we we see that Jesus is also the king of the temple. Now that may sound kind of odd, but the first thing that a a ruler would do in this parade, this parade would span from the entrance of the city uh, all the way to their palace, basically. Well, where did Jesus go when he entered into Jerusalem? The first place that he went was the temple. And we see in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 13, that the temple is his house. It says, then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of money, uh, sorry, of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So first of all, Jesus goes in here And he kicks out all of the intruders, basically, all of the people who were money changers in there, uh, selling things in the temple. He kicks them all out. Well, by what authority is he doing that? Well, it's because it's his house. It's his house. And he goes back to Old Testament prophecy about uh, it being my house shall be called a house of prayer. And then he says, but you've made it a den of thieves. Well, Jesus is not just referring to the Old Testament there. He is declaring that the temple is his house. So he is the king of the temple. You see, Jesus is not just a king, though. He is the perfect king. He was first the the prophesied king. Uh, This king was prophesied to come. All the other kings were just holding the place for this one king to come. Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 30 through 32. It says, therefore, being a prophet, this is talking about David, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, would rise up the Christ to sit on his throne He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And so David foresaw Christ sitting on his throne. Jesus was the prophesied king to come. Also, Jesus... Is not like any other king because he doesn't rule on earth right now. He rules from heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So Jesus is ruling in heavenly places. He is above any ruler in this world, any name that is named. So if you, literally anything that you can think of, Jesus is above it. Then he adds the cherry on top there, not only in this age, but in every age that is to come. Wow. Also, Jesus is the perfect king because he is the very image of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 through 4 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Jesus is the perfect king because he is the very image of God, because he's God. He is the rightful ruler. And not that he needed to, but Jesus also earned our allegiance with his blood. Revelation chapter 9, verse 13 and 16. It says, He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, His name is called the word of God. And then verse 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. This verse always got to me a little bit. Verse 13 specifically about his robe being dipped in blood. You know, the the Bible talks about the, the clothing that we will wear as the saints is all white, right? But Jesus, his robe is dipped in blood. It's that blood that it allows us to have those white raiments. Such a beautiful thing. But he earned his place as king. Not that he needed to, but he died for us. What other king in history can you think about that would literally sacrifice themselves for the good of their people? That's a beautiful thing. Jesus also entered into Jerusalem, not just as the king, but also as the high priest. Now we get to talk about one of my favorite characters of the Bible. And if you, if you have gotten to know me at all, you probably know the name that I'm about to say, Melchizedek, right? So one of my favorite characters of the Bible because it really completely points towards Christ. You see, Jesus entered in as a high priest. It shows us that he is the only one fit to rule and to be a priest. There's another person that tried to do that, in the Bible, and that was Saul. Uh, Saul in the Old Testament. Saul was the king, and then he tried to usurp Samuel uh, by offering sacrifices as well. That wasn't his job. He couldn't do that. But Jesus, this role is specifically reserved for Jesus. Why? Well, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. We see this in Hebrews 5, 6. It says, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Why is that so important? Well, remember we talked earlier about Jerusalem originally being Salem, right? Well, this Melchizedek was a priest chosen by God himself, and he was also the king of Salem. In the Old Testament. And so, this Melchizedek, his priestly order was a royal priesthood. So, Jesus being a a priest after the order of Melchizedek means that he is both king and priest, he's qualified. We also see in the Old Testament that the entire office of high priest. Points towards Christ. We see this again in Zechariah uh, chapter 6, verse 12 through 13. It says, Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, it's talking about Jesus uh, being a branch off of David, uh, from his place he shall branch out and he shall build. The temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne and count and, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And everything about the priesthood, all of the clothing that they wore, all of that. Uh, We don't have time to get into all of that today. But all of that, uh, all of the forms of worship, all of it pointed towards Jesus being the high priest. But not only is he our high priest, but he is, again, the perfect high priest. Jesus is the perfect high priest. As I said a minute ago, uh, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. This priesthood is of the highest order. This is higher than the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood after oh, the, uh, Aaron, right? Well, they're all descendants of Abraham. Well, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. So them being descendants of Abraham, they could not rise above Melchizedek. And so, Jesus being after this order meant that he was automatically higher than any of the priests at the time. Jesus is also the perfect high priest because he did not need to sacrifice for himself. Those sacrifices weren't needed for Jesus because he was completely innocent. This is very different than the other priests. Again, Hebrews chapter five, verses one through three, it says for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness because of this. He is required, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And so these priests were able to have compassion because they, suffered, they, they understood everybody's weaknesses, right? But they also committed these sins themselves. See, Jesus understands us, but he didn't actually commit any sins. And so... Jesus, when he offered his sacrifice, he didn't do it for himself. It was a more perfect sacrifice in that way. It makes him a better priest. He's also better because he is an eternal high priest. That also makes him perfect. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, it says... But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so if you had some other priest do your sacrifice other than Jesus, that priest was also going to die. They were flawed and they were also going to die. They couldn't continue to make intercession for you. But Jesus did it and he lives forever. So he can always speak on our behalf. There's another, there's a saying that you can only go as far as the blood takes you. Well, Jesus brought the blood to the most holy place in heaven. So whereas the other priests, they had to go into the tabernacle, which was a copy of the holy place in heaven, Jesus actually brought his blood into heaven. And so whereas in the Old Testament, all of their sacrifices were just to stay good with God here, those sacrifices could not get them into heaven because the blood didn't go that far. But Jesus' blood goes all the way into heaven. It says in verse uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 it says not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all having obtained eternal redemption he went into the most holy place once and for all so Jesus is the perfect high priest this next part is the most sad and beautiful part at the same time but when jesus entered into jerusalem he entered in as the sacrifice now for this we have to go back to the old testament to understand but the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem was a very significant day. And we're going to see this in the Old Testament right now. But we see that it was prophesied that God would provide Himself a lamb. Genesis chapter 22, verse 8, and this is when Abraham is taking his son Isaac to go up and sacrifice him. And really not knowing what else to say when Isaac asks him, where's our sacrifice? He says, well, don't worry. God will provide himself a lamb. Uh, he basically didn't want to tell his son that you, you're, you're the lamb right now. <laughs> like, uh, but Abraham had faith that God would provide. But he says this, and it's prophetic. It says, and Abraham said, my son... God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And so we know the rest of the story goes that when Abraham got up to the mountain and he's about to sacrifice his son, an angel stops him and then shows him that there's a ram caught in the thicket, right? And that ram is what Abraham actually sacrifices, And so Isaac wasn't the picture of Christ there. That ram that is caught in the thicket is the picture of Christ. Now this would go on in the Old Testament, the act of using a lamb as sacrifice. And we see in the first Passover. Now remember when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, it was the Passover week. And so in Exodus chapter 12, in the first Passover, it says, verses 1 through 7, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make count for the lamb. The lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Now, why is this significant? Well, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Any idea of what day it was? It was the 10th day of the first month. It was the month of Nisan. And this day was the lamb selection day. And so when Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, all of the people are cheering for him. The assembly of the whole congregation of Israel is looking at Jesus coming into Jerusalem and saying, that's our lamb. It was that day. And then after that, he was scrutinized by the Pharisees. They were looking for any sort of sin that they could condemn him for. And they couldn't find one. Just like they would scrutinize this lamb he was completely innocent. Then Jesus was slaughtered on that fourth day, on the 14th of Nisan. He was killed on the cross. And before that, you know, since the blood was. So, is so significant for the lamb, of course, Jesus would have to spill a lot of blood. And that was that whipping that they did, the cat of nine tails. And these Roman soldiers, they were very experienced. They knew how to spill as much blood as humanly possible before someone would give out. And they would stop just before that. And typically, this was about seven lashes. But Jesus got way more than that. Spilling so much blood. And they put him on the cross. And the beautiful thing about this, and the sad thing about this, is that cross is those doorposts, right? They would take the blood of the lamb and they would put it on the doorposts, right? And as Jesus is laying up there on that wooden cross... His blood would have been soaking all over it. He was that lamb chosen on that day. And Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. So He's the perfect king. He is the perfect high priest. He's also the perfect sacrifice. He was without spot or blemish. We talked about how they scrutinized him. And Peter confirms this in 1 Peter 1.19. It says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus was absolutely perfect. Also, Jesus was sacrificed only once. You see, part of the imperfectness of that system where they had to keep sacrificing animals, right, is that was only to appease God and they had to just keep doing it. As soon as you sinned again, basically you had to offer another sacrifice. And so it wasn't enough to save you. It was merely enough to, for appeasement at that time. But Jesus, being a perfect sacrifice, only had to do it once. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 through 26. It says, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, uh, but uh, into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often, As the high priest enters into the most holy place every year with the blood of another, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus only had to do it once. It was his own blood. He was the perfect high priest bringing it there. And he was the perfect sacrifice. Again, you can only go as far as the blood takes you. Jesus' blood was enough to cover many. You know, notice in that, that passage in Exodus, when it talks about the lamb, It I always read, used to read that as, you know, if the lamb wasn't enough for the household, then they had to get another lamb, but that's not what it says. It says if the household is too small for the lamb, then that lamb could cover multiple households. Well, Jesus' blood is enough to cover the whole world to anybody that would accept it. And he took that blood all the way into heaven. So in closing this morning, as the pianist and song leader come, I'm going to ask you a question. Is he yours? Is he yours? Is he your high king? Or sorry, is he your king? Is he your Lord? Do you trust in him as your Lord and Savior? Is he ruling your life? Because he's the perfect king. He's the only one qualified to do it. Is he your high priest? Is he the one that you can go to and trust that he is making an intercession for you forever? Are you putting your faith in something else? Lastly, is he your lamb? Do you look to Jesus and say, God, that's my lamb. When you die and you face God someday, there is one question that you need to answer that will either decide whether you are in heaven or in hell. And it's not how good you lived your life. When God asks you, are you going to say, God, I should get into heaven because Jesus is my lamb? I'm covered in his blood. That's what will get you into heaven is trusting in him. Do that this morning. Repent and believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior.